Up in the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Met Spectro through the multiverse! Hello and Happy New Year and welcome to another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. This is the podcast exclusively talking comic book animation. I am your host Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime animation fan. Happy New Year everyone, this is the year end episode. To celebrate the occasion, we are going to have the biggest episode ever. We are for the first time going to have three guests. That's right. Count them. One, two, three. All talking comic book animation. Let me briefly explain the rules and then we'll get right into it. Rule number one, comic book animation. If you haven't caught on by now, I don't know what you're doing. Rule number two, big fan of Marvel team up. DC Comics presents Brave and the Bull. So it's a team up podcast. I'm always going to team up with a special guest. Talk comic book animation. And third and most important, we gotta have fun. Not only is this episode, the year-end episode is episode 36. Without further ado, I'm gonna bring the crew out, introduce them one by one. First, you'll remember him most previously from our Conan episode. Welcome back to the multiverse, Francis. Hi, thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. Also coming back, he is the show's Green Lantern expert. Welcome back, Dave Walker. Hey, how lucky are you guys? I really envy all of you right now. <laughs> uh, the Infranny or the listeners? All of you. <laughs> and last but not least, he's the man too hot for social media. Welcome our first time guest to the multiverse, my old pal Mike. Too hot for TV as well, just to let you know. And by the way, being with Dave Walker in this podcast, it really does excite me as well, just to let you know. So since there are four of us, Happy New Year, gentlemen. Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year. So, uh, 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 forget it. <laughs> so, thanks. There are four of us. What else will we discuss but the one and only the Fantastic Four? Fantastic Four! There are a few moments in the uh, history of comic books that really stand out as milestones, historic moments. One of them being, you know, obviously Action Comics number one, the first appearance of Superman, the birth of the superhero. All-Star Comics number three, the first appearance of the Justice Society, the first ever gathering of a superhero team. Fantastic Four 52, the first ever mainstream minority superhero. And one of those moments I would say is Fantastic Four number one, not only the birth of the Marvel Age, but really one of the comics that pretty much changed the entire industry. We're going to go back to 1961, Fantastic Four. Number one, done by the legends Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. So, before we get into the uh, cartoon, which we are going to be watching, we're going to discuss a little bit the history of the Fantastic Four. It was the early 60s. DC Comics had had great success bringing back their superheroes 
the Flash, well, I should say new versions, the Flash, Green Lantern, and such, the Atom. So they formed the Justice League. And then the rumor has it that publisher Martin Goodman had told uh, Stan Lee that, hey, they're having success with that uh, Justice League superhero group. Why don't we do our own superhero group? Now, I don't know any of you, the four of you, well, three of you. This rumor has been sort of, uh, I wouldn't say debunked, but it's been debated whether it actually happened over the years. You guys ever heard this theory? Is this the uh, golf game? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know nothing of this. Well, the rumor was originally it was a golf game. Martin Goodman, uh, Stan Lee, somebody else was there that supposedly they were playing golf and said, hey, that Justice League's selling. Why don't we try a team book? And then the Fantastic Four was born. Supposedly, Stan Lee was uh, getting ready to wrap up his career in comic books. He'd had enough. Um, he'd been writing comics since the late 40s. But his wife, Joan, had said that he should try and do a comic the way he wants to before. Hence, he did Fantastic Four number one. Now, you guys, I shouldn't have to tell you, one of the reasons this was such a monumental moment, obviously it gave the rebirth of the Marvel Age of Comics, but really it was the first superhero team that didn't, superheroes period, that didn't really fit the mold of the traditional superhero. They didn't have secret identities. The Thing was a monster, so he was not the typical good-looking Clark Kent type. The woman was not just the secretary. <laughs> she was an actual member of the group. They had flaws. They argued. They bickered. All of this really went against, at the time, what superheroes were all about. Plus, it led to the Marvel method of writing comics Stanley and Jack Kirby had created as well. Back in 1961, Fantastic Four number one came out. Pretty much an instant success that led to Spider-Man, the Avengers, the X-Men, you name it. So... We're going to go jump forward to January 13th, 1968, the Fantastic Four cartoon episode, The Mysterious Molecule Man. How many of you, obviously we're all too young from when this cartoon originally aired, how many of you remember this cartoon period? I remember. I used to watch this one when I was a kid. It's in the 70s. one. I don't really remember it, but I vaguely remember the opening of the show. I've always been a huge fan of these actual cartoons. Um I like the animation. I like the cheesiness of it. I, you know, I'm nostalgia for the sixties, you know, anything that Hanna Barbera was, was really up my alley back in the day. So I, um, remember the Hanna Barbera world of super adventure cartoon is when I first saw the fantastic four. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was a Saturday morning cartoon. That was basically a montage of all of the sixties Hanna Barbera characters. One week they'd show space ghosts and one, then they'd be Herculoids. Then it'd be the galaxy trio. They also showed episodes of the fantastic four. The one I remember was The Thing, where you had The Thing ring. That that <laughs> Fred and Barney meet The Thing? Yes, I remember that one. And then I remember the 70s one. And then I think I saw the 60s one later on, but I remember the 70s stuff more. Like I said, The Mysterious Molecule Man originally debuted January 13th, 1968. Even though the cartoon itself debuted in 1967, Hanna-Barbera Productions took this over, like I had mentioned earlier, but to update you, they had done Johnny Quest, Space Ghost, the Galaxy Trio, the Herculoids. Uh, what was that Frankenstein Jr.? They were even responsible for Scooby Doo as well. They had a great run, didn't they? They certainly a lot did. Of good stuff though. went really up until the '90s. They kept going. That studio yeah. did. This is actually the first cartoon they ever did based on a comic book. Hanna Barbera. That is not cartoons in general. Hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, September 9th, nineteen sixty-seven was the actual debut of the cartoon itself. The writers were a uh, Phil Han and Jack Hanrahan, I guess is how you say it. 
They, uh, and really, you're really good at pronunciation. I'm not horrible at pronunciation. If you've heard more than one episode, I'm terrible at it. The legendary Alex Toth had worked on some of the character designs as well. All right, so we're going to get into a little bit of the details as well. Now, this is very hard to track down. Some of my guests didn't believe me that it was so hard to track down, but uh, it was difficult to find any of these episodes. Uh, to my knowledge, they never were on VHS or uh, DVD or Blu-ray. For any, uh, you seem to be the expert on that subject. You want to substantiate that? They are difficult to find. Now, part of the reason is uh, Disney owns the rights to Marvel, the characters the Fantastic Four, but actually Warner Brothers themselves own the rights to the Hanna-Barbera Library. So because of that dispute, Disney has slapped a lot of copyrights on websites who have tried to release these episodes, but they can't actually air them themselves on Disney Plus because they don't own the rights to the Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Disney doesn't have the money to go out and buy them and put them on. Give it time. They'll own Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past. And I don't know if Warner Brothers is going to let that go, but maybe they will. So let's get into a little bit of the Fantastic Four themselves. What do you guys think about the... Uh, they really were the first characters not to have secret identities that were actually superheroes. Oh, Fantastic Four is great. The first family of comics. I'm a DC guy, so I'm not going to claim to be a Fantastic Four expert or a super fan, but I like the Fantastic Four. They're pretty cool. They're one of the better franchises Marvel has. Michael? When I was a kid, I loved all things superheroes. Didn't really matter who they were, but I, the thing was the, the one I liked the most out of the, the team. The thing was interesting, because especially in the 50s, monsters were a big thing in comic books. The thing was like, he broke the rules. He was the monster who was the good guy. The monster with a heart of gold, if you will. The Idol of Millions. Thousands, even. I have an admiration for like the swanky 60s kind of group thing going on, whether it's the uh, Cave Carson and you know the, the Sea Devils or Fantastic Four or Doom Patrol, where they don't have to have masks or identities, and they're more of a, a group of adventurers. I think that's pretty cool. Fantastic Four is definitely leads the pack there. Some people have tried to give Kirby more credit than Stan Lee, saying that the challenges of the unknown were really the template that the Fantastic Four were based on. That's absolutely true. But I mean, really, other than the uniforms looking kind of the same, they're really not the same thing. Yes, they are. Says the DC guy. Well, if challenges of the unknown begat the Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four begat the Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol begat the X-Men. That's how it goes. Which is totally off topic. <laughs> so the X-Men should give credit to the challenges of the unknown, is what yes. you say. Yes, they should. All the characters mentioned created by uh, Stan Lee and uh, Jack Kirby. Mr. Fantastic. Stan Lee said the idea came, he claims, and stuff I read, that it was uh, inspired by the abilities of Plastic Man, who I believe was the first stretching character ever in comic books. Ripping off DC again, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Now, he was voiced by the late Gerald Moore, who has done a uh, lot of different voice acting in TV and radio. He had uh, worked in uh, Filmation. He actually voiced Green Lantern in the Filmation cartoons. That's the same guy. Oh, okay. All right. I did not know that. Some expert. I'm not a fan. Reed Richards expert. But you're not a Green Lantern expert, apparently. Da, 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 da. Details. Details. The Invisible Girl, or the, well, she's the Invisible Woman now, but was the Invisible Girl at the time. Stan Lee had said that uh, he was inspired by, obviously, the Universal Pictures Invisible Man, which you don't have to be a rocket scientist to put two and two together. You got to somehow link that to the challenges of the unknown? I think there's already enough proof in the pudding. And uh, Stan Lee was very adamant. He said he wanted an opposite of a Wonder Woman. He didn't want a woman that just punched and kicked and was super strong. He was looking for powers that were like the opposite of what Wonder Woman was. Wonder so, Woman was a secretary. You know that? <laughs> 
Yes, in the stupid. Some would say the, that's her best role. Stupidly in the JSA, Wonder Woman, who was more powerful than two thirds of them, was a secretary. Yeah, I think it worked. It was a nice balance, a nice harmony on the team. Is that? <laughs> she was uh, voiced by uh, Joanne Flug, who had played Lieutenant Dish in the Mash film. <laughs> Human Torch. Now he was uh, credited that they said he was basically just a, uh, you know, a reinvigoration of the '30s Human Torch that was created uh, by uh, Carl uh, Burgess. Fun fact: that Jack Kirby says that the comic code strictly prohibited him from setting anybody on fire. He could only set objects on fire. I did not know that. Well, it kind of makes sense. I mean, and when you think about it, they're making comics for kids and cartoons for kids. <laughs> Can you imagine the Human Torch uh, setting like Doctor Doom in the moment just on fire? Would have solved problems really fast. <laughs> uh, he was also added because um, Stanley had noticed that, uh, much like in the 40s, when they came up with the team sidekick, a lot of teenagers were still reading comic books, so they made Human Torch like the voice of the reader because he was a hip cat teenager. He drove. He was, a, he was like Rick Jones. Yeah, he drove a convertible. Like uh, I'm sure he listened to the Beatles. He was like the guy the readers could identify with. Yeah, I guess I can see that. Makes sense. Uh, and he was also the uh, voiced by a Jack Flounders. The Thing. Ever-loving blue-eyed thing. Idol of millions. Like we'd already covered. He was the monster that was a hero. They'd said earlier they considered a love triangle, but that really only gets brought up very infrequently. It sort of gets dumped pretty early on. Yeah, it's just dumb. A couple of poor writers over the years have tried to go back to it, but it just doesn't work. They had Alicia Masters for that later on anyway. No, it said they did a love, love triangle with the... The torch in the thing. Which they really revealed the goes on to this that day. that was a scroll. It wasn't actually Alicia Masters. Terrible. He's voiced by the late Paul Freeze, which everybody knows. Uh, he has done voice acting for years and years. He was Burger Meister, Meister Burger, and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Oh. Dave, he did voices in both The Hobbit and Return of the King cartoon. Mm. Uh, he was also the narrator of the film Doc Savage, Man of Bronze. Really? Oh, he did the narration on that. Have you guys ever seen that movie? That's it's a fantastic it's something. Oh, it's something. All right, Michael. Mike's a big Doc Savage fan. Yes, that movie is quite amazing, and the character playing Tarzan afterwards. Ronnie, a huge fan fan of actually, and he also was the voice of the ghost host on the Haunted Mansion attraction at Disney World. And finally, the Molecule Man, who was also created by Leon Kirby. He is a uh, Voiced by the late Henry Corden, who had done voice acting. Too many things to list. Can you list any of them? The uh, voices are always amazing. Where these villains are always so over the top. Yeah, he had voiced. Uh, he later on took on the role of Fred Flintstone and voiced him uh, in every cartoon they had done at that point from the seventies on. He did voices on Super Friends, Dinomutt, Scooby Doo, you name it. In the seventies, all the way to the late eighties, he had done voices for the cartoon. All right, and there you have it. That and This is how it all got started. This is really the first good superhero cartoon I think there really was. Marvel had done those horrible stop-motion type animation things. Those like, were fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did like Captain America. And Iron Man. Namor. Namor, yeah. Yeah, well, they just showed the panels and they put a little, yeah, put put little running legs on them. <laughs> it was about a year prior to this, so yeah, they were pretty bad. They came... Pretty far, pretty fast then. Yeah, but fa they did not do a Fantastic Four cartoon, so Hanna-Barbera got the rights to do the Fantastic Four. And if you watch it, it's uh, very similar to a lot of the cartoons that are there, Johnny Quest especially, I would say. 
And part of the reasons they say that it was short-lived, only 20 episodes, is much like most of those Hanna-Barbera cartoons. It, it got a lot of backlash for violence from parents' groups back in the late 60s. I don't think the violence was, you know, obviously looking back at it now, but I don't think the violence was that bad. I mean, there was definitely worse stuff going on. Well, violence. it was 60 years ago. It was a different time. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. But there was even violence in The Adventures of Superman that was way worse than any of these cartoons. And that was in the 50s. Yeah, but they were gangsters. They had it coming. So they get a production order and they order 10, 20, 30 episodes and then they get it. And for whatever reason, they might not be invited back to do another set of episodes. Yeah, other than Johnny Quest, I really don't think too many of the cartoons, if you look at them, are really all that violent. Most of them, not really that violent compared to any of the cartoons around today. Johnny Quest, they were actually firing real guns, real bullets. So I could see And children. Yeah, so that was a little bit different. A lot of them, I think, were short-lived just because of critiques. Because this is before they got in the whole thing of they had to be educational and uh, they couldn't be too violent. They hadn't gotten into the whole, you couldn't advertise toys, but they were very concerned about, you know, pushing these things to push certain products as well. Which is weird when we look at how much uh, product placement is done in movies that they were worried about kids at that time. And then the commercial right after would be like Joe Camel smoking a cigarette. Well, it's weird because later on in the He-Man uh, came across this, you couldn't advertise he-Man toys during the He-Man cartoon itself. So even though the cartoon is a big commercial for a toy line, you couldn't actually advertise the toys during commercial breaks for the show they were on. And they had to prove the kids were learning something at the very end by throwing in a little life lesson. Yeah, this is before life lessons and whatnot. So, all right. <clears throat> Excuse me if uh, I'm, uh, I seem to be dying a little bit. I don't know what's going on with me. It's <laughs> all choked up having the Fantastic Four here together. Well, I think having, you know, uh, four guests, it's just so overwhelming, you know. Yeah, because we're all, all seem to be quite on fire here. As There's a, lo- a lot of greatness in one room. Well, you can barely contain Mike over no, there. Then imagine how the fans feel. The listeners are on the edge of their seat. And on that note, we're going to watch Fantastic Four, The Mysterious Molecule Man. Stay with us. We'll be right back. It's the Fantastic Four! They've got fantastic powers! Super Stretch Mr. Fantastic can stretch up to three times his size and go to any length to defeat the evil Dr. You. Let's go for a spin, dude! Super Stretch Mr. Fantastic stretches up to three times his size! Because of our abilities, you locked the four of us away. But we're not the ones you should fear. Oh my god. If we've helped you, we do it our way. What if we say no? Say yes. I talked to him before, are you? Oh, there are. Fantastic Four. PG-13. Mom, we could see you. Yeah, you're not invisible. Am I invisible now? Whoa! Now at Burger King, you can get one of six Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer toys with every kid's meal. I'm invisible. Yeah, Mom. Go back to sleep. Appearing at BK today. Meanwhile, at the Podcast of Justice.
And we are back. And we just watched the Fantastic Four, The Mysterious Molecule Man. All right. Humdinger. Can I say <laughs> fantastic episode? Well, normally I'd like you to say that for the end when we review it. Guy jumping the gun over here. Sorry, I, I it just really sparked sparked my uh, I'll forget it. I'll just go on with your uh, questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we had that uh, opening theme song, which I'm kind of torn. Both amazing but generic at the same time. Got a very Johnny Quest vibe. I dug it. Fun hot '60s uh, saccharin thing going on. Which kind of introduces you to the characters a little bit, plus shows some of the villains they're going to fight over the course. You notice in these credits, uh, Galactus was really no purple. Yeah, what was with the coloring on him? They couldn't spring for all the, the right colors? I believe also it's he's shorter in the in this, I don't want to get sidetracked, but he wasn't as big in the cartoon as he was in the comic book. Yeah, with no explanation, Dr. Doom was the same size as Galactus for some reason. <laughs> but we open with a comet flying through space. Ends up going over New York City and crashing on a farm originally. And it was as they do crystal glowing, which, you know, uh, made me think of uh, something from Superman at first. And the Fantastic Four get the meteor. They're all studying it. Thing says he hears a crackling sound like it's radioactive material. I challenge any of you to make a sound that sounds like radioactive material. Well, this is probably my favorite part of the episode because while Reed is on one side, saying that my finest, most delicate instruments can't get a reading on this thing. The thing is on the other side with a stethoscope and a big horn, <laughs> like a Tom and Jerry cartoon listening to it, hearing crackling sounds. <laughs> uh, Reed can't puncture it, so the human torch is going to try and burn a hole in it. He, he didn't even ask. He's just like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll burn a hole in he it. Just he just starts blasting. <laughs> I would think Could've if killed you everybody in the room. shot fire at something radioactive, that's probably not a good thing, but maybe it's just me. Now, he only does his uh, his hands... And he says, flame on. We discussed this a little bit. You know, much like He-Man says, by the power of Grayskull, the Rangers say, it's morphin' time. Does he have to say flame on to become the human torch? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this to Franny and ask him. He's the expert. He, he gets 10 cents every time he does it. So, <laughs> I, I actually like it when superheroes promote their, you know, like a saying or whatever, like Shazam or, or whatever. Before yeah, but Shazam up actually away. has to say Shazam. Well, yeah, I know, I understand that, but I, I, you gotta I think sell the gimmick, though. You gotta sell, yeah, you're selling the gimmick, you know, whatever their character is, and they have a little saying, I mean, gets them over. You know, somewhere, Johnny Storm has got a gimmick table, and he's selling a bunch of pictures of himself saying "Flame on," so he's got to use the slogan to sell his glossy eight <laughs> by ten. Not sell the glossy eight by tens without but, "Flame on," but the kids are gonna want the ones that say "Flame on." I'm on sure them. it takes on a different meaning nowadays. All right, thing says, uh, hold on, uh, it might be hot enough that uh, it'd be brittle for him to break it, and he gives it like a. Karate chop, yeah, which he does work. He does break off a piece of the meteorite. Yeah, once again, just someone hauling off and smashing the unknown mysterious object without without the smartest man in the world telling him what to do. It's clobbering time. I, there Maybe no repercussions from that. I, I don't see how that could have possibly gone wrong. Well, he does. It does hurt. He goes, yeah. <laughs> he says, "I might have busted my pinky." Does he even blink? <laughs> so Reed's fascinating because it shows a nuclear nuclear core. But no radiation on the Geiger counter. He's going to bring it over to his, uh, what was it called? The radium? Uh, radium spectrum something. <laughs> Just make up a name, I guess. You're the one with the notes. <laughs> I couldn't. I, I was writing so fast, I, I couldn't quite get out what he said. So it's showing up on the big screen. Uh, it's a strange material that Reed has never seen before. Uh, but it's definitely some kind of radioactive. It's In fact, it's absorbing the radium. 
It was the radium stabilizer. That's what it was. That's what it was. And it's actually absorbing the radiation from the stabilizer. So it's like a radiation sponge. Yeah. Mm. So it's going to need more tests. Yes. I wonder if that'll come in useful later on. <laughs> Never. He says that uh, he wants a thing to put it away who says, okay, skipper. It was like a nickname that never caught on. You know, he could have been using that for decades. I got to say, Thing kind of, uh, he especially, him and Reed, I think, especially sound exactly like I pictured them when I read Fantastic Four comics. Yeah. 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 yeah the Thing's voice is pretty awesome. But you notice show. all of you, the Thing is no taller than the rest of them. I always pictured the Thing as much taller. He's pretty tiny. At certain yeah. points, he like loses 50 pounds for no good reason. And back gains in, it back. Back in the days when like the thing and the Hulk weren't eight feet tall each, you know, when later artists started drawing them outrageously huge. So then Reed asked Johnny what's going on outside. Apparently there's a commotion. And they look and there's a giant green glowing globe floating over the city. And then it turns into the Molecule Man, who has a magic wand. Gotta tell you, Molecule Man's costume was never good. I find it particularly horrific on this cartoon. It is horrific, but the best part is, is the guy's gimmick is that he can create anything out of anything. You couldn't come up with a better costume? Looks like something Electro threw out. I like the cheese factor of it. I like the terrible costumes, I gotta admit. And plus, the cartoons just remind me of Mago, like the Mago toys and stuff that came out. Just because he arranged molecules doesn't mean he's like some fashion expert, buddy. What's with the wand? Why does he need the wand? Yeah, that never gets an explanation. Firestorm doesn't need a wand. Magic always has wands. Firestorm, which owes everything to the Molecule Man, who owes everything to the challenges of the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you understand. Now you get it. And then he says to everyone, before I speak to you, look behind you. And the building vanishes, but you find out it's the Baxter building actually floating above the thing. So he's demonstrating he can float a building. You think he killed anybody in that building? <laughs> I mean, how many people just like flew up and hit the ceilings and just turned to mush? Well, he puts it back down gently just to show his powers. He then says, I have now nullified every man-made law. None will give orders. Everyone answers to the molecule man. I am the law. He's so proud of himself, too, when he says that. He is very, uh, and then Reed yells, not why we live. Which really gets him upset. <laughs> Reed's got his arms folded too, like he's all, like he's standing in a pose. He was waiting to get his picture taken. Who dares question the Molecule Man? Reed says, "We do." The Fantastic Four. Who are you? My crazy just calls himself the Molecule Man like six times in the last ten seconds. <laughs> well, not only that, but here's the Fantastic Four all in their matching pajamas, standing in front of him. He's just levitated the Baxter Building, but he acts like he has no idea who these people are. <laughs> Or why they would have the why they would stand up to him? It seems like he's calling them out by lifting their building. Yeah, I mean, I mean, is it a coincidence he picked the Baxter Building, or it was deliberate? That's what I'm asking. Good question. This guy really loves referring to himself as the Molecule Man. I don't know if you noticed; it's a theme throughout the episode. Uh, any good villain is going to use refer to themselves again. In he third gets person. ten cents for every T-shirt. But he says that uh, you know he once again tells them who he is, the Molecule Man. <laughs> But since it, it won't affect his plans, he's going to tell them the source of his tremendous powers. Now, you know you're a cocky villain when you don't even bother getting them in the death trap before you explain yourself and your brilliant plan. Yeah, since you guys have no chance of beating me, I might as well tell you all about my I'm origin story. I'm just going to spell it right here on the street. Now, I'm going to get all your take on this. You can say what you want about the character, but he's pretty goddamn powerful. Maybe the most powerful character there is. 
Why is he going <laughs> to tell them anything about them that could give them any kind of edge in beating him? He's that confident. He's a supervillain. If there was ever a case where you should just zap your, your enemy to death, this is it. <laughs> he, he literally can just re, reform matter into anything he wants. You turn a car into a house. You can, turn a, can he do anything to living people? If they have molecules, he can rearrange the molecules of anything. We find a weakness later on, but I don't want to jump ahead quite yet. Oh, no. So uh, we get a flashback where he looks like a completely different person. He looks like the villain from Underdog is what he looks like when he's not <laughs> the molecule man. Simon Bar Sinister. So he worked for the Acme Atomic Corporation. God damn, they didn't put any thought into that, did they? <laughs> where else would they make the atomics? He was a lab tech who did all the work, but they got all the money. So did he make all the products that Wiley Coyote ordered to go after <laughs> the Roadrunner with? He looks like he's uh, like soldering or something on this giant machine, which you never really find out what it is, which blows up. And he says that he survived a trillion to one accident. Does he mean that his odds of surviving are a trillion to one or the accident's a trillion to one? I'm not good at math. That turned him into the Molecule Man, which... If you didn't see it, Owen Reese and the Molecule Man look like two completely different people. Yeah, it looks like Jack Frost from the 60s uh, yeah, Christmas yeah, cartoon. Yeah, yeah, from the Land of Misfit Got toys. the spiky things. face thing going on. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, he, he didn't resemble him at all because the old guy, as a human, he looked like one of the Guardians from, you know, with the bald head and the white hair. and the oh, There we go. Stealing from DC again. <laughs> yeah, that's just always going back to DC. Poor Gil Kane. Poor Gil. So uh, he says, uh, now he has the power to rearrange molecules and all of mankind will obey. Again, if you can rearrange molecules, do you really need mankind to obey? I mean, what are they going to do to you? Could just get rid of mankind. So to demonstrate, he's going to uh, turn a lamppost into a giant airplane engine, which uh, blows away like everybody's standing there. Another popular theme this guy has, he really loves telling you what he's going to do right before he does it. Like nothing he does doesn't get an explanation. Well, he's a technical guy, you know, it's, you know, he's engineering types. He needs his own hype man, and he doesn't have a hype man to put his stuff over for him. And then he, he turns uh, dust particles into magnets, which for some inexplicable reason stretches and attracts Reed Richards. And did he magnetize Reed Richards, too? So he said he was, yeah, the dust in the air he turned into magnets, but what was magnetic about Reed? Not to mention, five, five minutes ago, he had no idea who the Fantastic Four were, apparently. He didn't know we can stretch. Why would you do that? <laughs> the thing rips off that giant fan and just destroys it. And he says he's going to clobber it, which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed the thing. You want to talk about getting your catchphrase in. <laughs> thing must have said clobbering time like seven times in this cartoon. Selling the gimmick. Molecule Man, he laughs, which he does a lot of, by the way. And uh, he says that... Uh, He's got to leave now because he has a meeting with the military leaders. And then Reed says that he needs to find a flaw after he left. Reed says that they can't study the molecules in electricity. So that gets Reed to the conclusion that he wouldn't be able to alter the molecules in electricity. He isn't a genius for nothing. Yeah, he's the smartest man in the world. Is he? If they establish he's smarter than Tony Stark? I assume so, yes. Reed's going to work in a weapon... We see the headline of the Capitol Reporter newspaper. I'm the only one upset it wasn't the Daily Bugle. The Joint Chiefs are in Washington, so obviously they have the Capitol Reporter. Yeah, good, good call. Whatever. Good call. And the headline is Pentagon to Hear Molecule Man. So there's Molecule Man in a big boardroom with all these military leaders. He's explaining how he took uh, their tanks and their weapons. He crushed them, turned them into sawdust. 
And this meeting is to inform them he's now the supreme leader and they will obey, which they get very upset. Some great shots of them protesting, arms up in the air, doing the double fish shake. They're not going to listen to the molecule, man. It was a bad day for those military leaders. They had to get up in the morning and know that they were going to a meeting with a world-dominating villain who was going to make demands of them. It's all very cordial, though. We're going to get ourselves a little conference room and some donuts, and we're going to have a little meeting. Did they set the time for it? What if Molecule Man was late for the meeting? Would they have just sat around and waited for him? <laughs> I don't know. He seems like he's on a tight schedule. Seems like he could do what Just like Dave Walker, apparently, all the time in the world it takes to get to some place. <laughs> <laughs> Always late. So uh, they uh, Reed builds the gun. He says uh, he can shoot objects and he's going to cover it with a microelectric powder. Then you won't be able to rearrange it because it's covered with electronic molecules. Which makes it very convenient that he announces everything he's going to do before he does it because you have to guess what he's going to change in order to shoot it so that he can't change it. Thing says that he gets it. Instead of bullets, it shoots dust. Nothing gets by that Ben Grimm, does it? You notice he couldn't actually shoot the gun at the villain. He had to work around that. Yeah, I don't. He never oh, does yeah. shoot the gun. But at the he's not rearranging himself. He's rearranging other stuff. He could, he could have shot the wand. What does he need the wand for? Yeah, they never really understood why? the wand either. It's magic. That's but he, he had an explosion or whatever that made him radioactive, so he could rearrange molecules. Why does he have the wand? Because he's clearly a and showman. If, and if he's he had a Harry wand, Potter fan, why doesn't Reed Richards shoot the wand? Because the, the wand is not being rearranged. It's rearranging other stuff. They seem to both be having a hard time grasping that concept. It's a one-note character. Get on board. So uh, on the television, it says that uh, the Molecule Man is demanding anyone give information on the whereabouts of the Fantastic Four. He's trying to get people to rat out the four. They sneak into the big gathering of the Molecule Man. He tells Invisible Girl to get invisible and get as close as you can. Torch, get close, but don't flame on to my signal. And him and Thing are going to hold up the rear. You know, that was a perfect missed opportunity to put on some of the things trench coat disguises. When they were in the alley there, they all should have been wearing trench coats and the floppy hats that the thing used to wear. The thing does say that it's clobbering time. You know, he made sure to say that again. (laughs) In case you didn't get it the first few times. Now, Molecule Man says if he doesn't have the FF by tomorrow, he's going to destroy the city. But for some bizarre reason, he puts a giant dome over it. So they can't get out. Oh, so... (laughs) And uh, to demonstrate his power, there's two giant lion statues, and he turns it into a real lion. And am I crazy, or he called it Simba? Yes, he did. He did. Okay, he did call it Simba. Disney connection. Well, you know, Disney also stole Simba. So what you're saying is that... (laughs) From from DC. Yeah. You can say that... not DC. What you're saying is the Lion King owes its success to Challenges of the Unknown. That's what it sounds like you're saying. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, the truth is in there somewhere. Give me a little time. I'll work it out. But uh, I'm pretty sure Disney owes Hanna-Barbera some money. Before the lion could do any damage, uh, Thing uh, grabs him by the paws and starts swinging him around like a top. He even says, shoe kitty, but then just tosses him aside. So now there's this magical lion running around <laughs> the city with no explanation. That got beat up just within the first three seconds of existence. I mean, I'm, I'm no scientist, but it's got it's pretty technical to turn the molecules of stone and concrete into organic material i did question that so after that uh molecule man he announces he's gonna do it to the other lion thank god he did that because if he hadn't reed wouldn't have been able to shoot the lion with his uh his dust gun why is this asshole always telling people what he's gonna do right before he does it good thing he telegraphed it very convenient for reed 
and uh, it doesn't work, and his, he wants to know if his powers are fading, and it hurt his arm. Uh, Which isn't even the arm that he, was it the arm he used the wand with? Yes, it was. It was, okay, so they got that much right. Reed comes out and tells, uh, I, I know more about your powers than what you thought, and he's going to give him this one time to surrender. Quite cocky. <laughs> you thought the Molecule Man was uh, cocky, but apparently Reed is equally cocky. And he says, never. He'll never give up. Now, this next scene, anyone who can offer an explanation, it was bizarre to me. He puts himself in this giant glass jar, and he tries to get away like it's like a giant extended flying carpet or something. It's like, it's like a red carpet that goes flying off into the air, like the same way that the Iceman inexplicably can ride the ice slide up and around and everywhere with no propulsion whatsoever. Yeah, it was like this red ribbon that started shooting him across the city. Yeah, it's not like a flying carpet. It's like the carpet is just extending and extending and extending. <laughs> You're just turning air into carpet. Human Torch Dust chain. particles. Dust, part- <laughs> Dust particles. There you go. Human Torch shows up. He can't burn the glass, but he does burn the carpet, which doesn't seem to matter because it doesn't do a damn thing to the... Then it turns into a flying carpet. Just keeps he going. doesn't fall as soon as he ruins the carpet. Sue puts up a big force field where he drives right into it. He didn't even flinch. Rams right into it, and he doesn't even react. They saved a few bucks on the animation on the flying bit. So he's kind of trapped in it, but kind of not really. Uh, She can't really hold him, but he does end up falling out. I don't know what happened there because, like, he's still in the glass. He sort of bounced off it like a trampoline and went boing. And you know what Thing says? When he gets down, it's clobbering clobbering time. (laughs) (laughs) Say it along with us, kids. But before he can get to the ground, he literally forms an airplane around himself, but in pieces, like not, yes. not all at once. Apparently, he was 10,000 feet in the air on his flying carpet because he has time to, in three sections to invent, out of thin air, the most technologically advanced jet fighter you've ever seen. He needed more dust. So it was like he put, he put some true. dust in, then he got a little more dust and finished it off. It was, he was working on it. A lot of dust particles, I guess. He's going to fly out, but he promises them. That there's going to be a final round. So this guy's coming back for more. I don't know why he's running at this point. Because his arm hurts? Yeah, they haven't actually really managed to do anything to him other than bother him. He just doesn't understand what's going wrong. So he has to get some space from him. All I can think of is like the old Monty Python. You know, run away, run away. Like, why is he running? I don't get it. By the way, what was a tank and ever do to this guy? You're, bringing, you're jumping <laughs> to my next point right now. The military says they have one tank that the Malkyman hasn't rearranged. They're going to give it to uh, Reed Richards, who says, uh, this is going to be the opening that we've been waiting for. So this is the only thing he hasn't messed with. And what did they do? They they take the cannon off. Yeah, like they were waiting for a tank? Why? I, I don't know. That's a good question. Why do you need a tank without a cannon? They took it off. And by the way, Reed does, he's increased the range of the gun to two miles. Spoiler alert, that never becomes useful at all in this entire episode. So I don't even know why it's in there. Anyone want to offer a... a in case he flies off on the flying carpet again. So they all get in the tank, which the thing is shot, so it's covered with... Uh, pixie dust. Yeah, with the pixie dust, so he can't rearrange the tank's molecules. Which they could have just done with a car. Yeah. Or, or, bus, or I would think themselves, anything. but hey, I guess it doesn't matter, because for some reason, Molecule never wants to actually attack their molecules, just everything around them. He could have just turned them into stone statues and been done with it. Reed stretches to see that where he's at, and he's back at that library, which, by the way, the the lion's a statue again. So I don't know if he built a new lion statue or he turned the poor thing back into a statue. 
I think that lion got the raw deal. <laughs> he says to the people that you're going to be regimented into workforces to start my campaign for world conquest. What in the goddamn hell is this guy talking about? He just took out the entire military in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, he's got lofty goals. What what workforces does this guy need from these clowns? He'll think Especially since he can create anything out of thin air. He'll create work for him. He's ambitious. He wants to keep the economy going. He's yeah. evil, world dominating, but he doesn't want to hurt the American economy, I guess. It's kind of admirable. <laughs> I'm starting to dig this guy. He, uh, when the tank comes up, instead of trying to shoot it, he raises the street to like block them off. Human Torch burns through it. And then this was uh, weird because out of nowhere, and your son even commented while we're watching this, things holding this giant metal pipe that's all twisted up in knots like a pretzel. And he says uh, he's got to make sure it doesn't get loose. We didn't even see the molecule man even shoot the pipe, which was a little odd. It's almost like something got left out. Yeah, this right is like there. a bad edit. Yeah, something got didn't get animated, fun, you know, fully, and they had to just leave it on the cutting room floor or something. So uh, Torch, he uh, he shoots a ring of fire around the molecule man, who doesn't change the molecules of the fire. Instead, he creates a bucket of water and puts out the fire. <laughs> it's like some Zan and Jaina stuff right there, you know. Oh, DC connection again. <laughs> In fact, this is one of my favorite lines. He then says to the Human Torch, fly away, little boy, I'm busy. And he does. Sue, then, invisible, grabs the, the wand. And uh, he can't figure it out at first, but obviously he puts two and two together. I guess, it, are we supposed to believe if, if they get the wand away from him that he will be powerless? I don't know why. Anyone? Should. You're the Marvel guy. You believe this guy? He doesn't even I know. know. I know. I don't know. What would the Challenger of the Unknown done? You know, Weather Wizard has a wand, and he didn't ah! lose it every 10 seconds. I'm just saying. Does the weather wizard need the wand to use his powers? Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) But apparently Molecule Man does. So he uses the molecules to make her uh, visible, and he announces, of course, that he's going to drop a giant stone and crush her, which, of course, then he laughs his ass off. Uh, Reed does save her, though. He tells uh, Torch to go get that meteor fragment because he's putting two and two together. Yeah, What made him think of that? Like, out of the blue, the meteor that they got from the farmer. Hey, he's Reed Richards. He's thinking multiple things at once. Yeah. So, guy's pretty smart. So, if that was pipes from earlier thing, is he's going to smash the Molecule Man with him. But Molecule Man turns them into a giant flower and goes, ah, ha, 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 and laughs again. Which then he announces, very important you let everyone know what you're going to do. He's going to drop the thing in a bottomless pit. Thank God he did that, because then Reed could shoot the ground below him and stop him from creating the bottomless bottom pit. <laughs> and it hurt his arm again. And it hurts his arm yet again, because a feedback, apparently, from this gun. He tries to drop things on thing, which Reed shoots the gun above the thing, stopping that from happening. Even though there's 10,000 feet of dust particles above where he shot, but just because he put a little cloud over him, he can't turn those dust particles into something to drop on him. He's like, that gun, you know, what is it? Reed even says, it's your finish, Molecule Man. And then he explains to the guy what the gun does. Why? He's like, <laughs> Reed's taunting He's been guy. listening to this guy's explanations the entire episode. He's going to get his own digs in. Sue's even Smart trying too. to tell him not to do it. Because well, he says, I don't believe you. I want to see that gun. <laughs> Which Reed obliges, despite Sue's warning. Well, Sue knows Reed. She knows how cocky he can get. And then he tries to discredit... This is also genius. He tried to disintegrate the gun, 
In fact, yelling, disintegrate, disintegrate. <laughs> but it does not work. Oh, yeah, because Reed, uh, Reed was smarter than him all along, wasn't he? He covered the gun with the electro dust. Aha. <laughs> he, uh, he... So did he not tell Sue that he covered it with the dust just because he knew that she would run her mouth in front of Molecule Man? She's like, no, Reed, don't do it. Don't do it. He's like, I know she's going to. Well, it's one of two options. Either she was trying to fool the Molecule Man. Of course, to what end? What does it matter if uh, if he can't destroy the gun? What, is it, why, what does it matter if he shoots it? Or he's doing a bit from that Rick and Morty episode where he gave Morty the gun and, and told him to shoot at him because the gun wasn't working. So it was all like a ruse. It's one of the two things, which I don't know. It really doesn't matter if he shoots the gun and it doesn't work. Is that going to really affect the defeating the Molecule Man? doesn't matter that we're actually... Uh Talking about Rick and Morty. Come on. <laughs> You're a big fan of Rick and Morty, aren't you? That show is terrible. Yeah. What's Mike? the DC connection there? Mike's going to have to come over to the house so I can give him the audio commentary. I, I'll, I'll pass. Thanks. Which does seem to have a lot in common with the Fantastic Four when you think about it. It's true. Such as? Rick is practically the Molecule Man and uh, Reed Richards yeah, combined Reed in one. Richards and you got Summer and you got Jerry. It's like a little family. Can, a, can we get you back to the Fantastic Four? Right, I, back to the Fantastic come Four. On. Anyway, I think I think he put the pixie dust on the gun and didn't tell Sue because he knew Sue. It's like the old Superman 2 thing, you know, where Superman pretends he trusts Lex Luthor, but he doesn't tell him that on the inside of the uh, the cabinet, you know, the rays won't work. It was really he reversed it the whole time because he knew that Luthor was going to out him. You were safe in there. The lights were on out here. Yeah, he, he knew that Sue was going to. I was with you all the time, Superman. He, he was with you the whole time. So what you're saying is your premise is Reed is taking... For granted that his wife is stupid. And <laughs> yes. Wasn't it obvious to you guys? I mean, when you watch it now, it seems like, yeah, he knew. You know, He couldn't count on his wife, but he could count on her to out his plan, which was really a double plan. It was a double bluff. It was a double bluff, and she didn't know she was in on it. Ooh, what a twist. <laughs> so um, he tries to get away. He's back in that green globe, which... Uh, Reed is chasing with the fragment, which this was an awesome animation. He's running down the street. Reed running down the street, holding the fragment, shooting at the big green globe. Not sure why he just didn't stretch that <laughs> yeah, well, He could have stretched after him. That's right. Well, I question, why does he, if he can turn into a green globe and just float away, why did he need to make the jet plane or the flying carpet or any of that nonsense? Good point. <laughs> Showmanship. I think they just wanted Reed to get the uh, coup de gras on him at the end. Demonstrating his multitude of powers. That's what he's doing. Running? No, the Molecule Man, oh. not Reed Richard. <laughs> it does uh, knock him down, and it changes him back into the lab technician who says, how did I get here? So I guess we're supposed to think that the Molecule Man was like a different persona. It wasn't the same guy? or I, I half expect him to wake up, and he was like, I'm completely innocent. I had nothing to do with this. And it's like a go. Norman Osborn Green Goblin deal. Yeah, yeah. I half expected that. That would, seemed like what they were going for. The there. cops weren't buying it, though, because they slapped him in chains just as fast as they could. Yes, the cops came right after the, the action was done. They said they could take it from here thanks to the Fantastic Four. Now, uh, they asked Reed how he knew this would happen. He said that uh, he didn't know, but he hoped since it absorbed radiation it would do the same to the molecule man shot out like a yellow beam out of it the little meteor chunk he was running after him down the street with which is kind of like when batman was running down the street saying uh you know some days you can't get rid of a bomb he's like running down the street with the meteor but there was like this yellow beam shooting at him from it how did the beam get from him to the molecule man what i want to know is back at the beginning he had the thing put the meteor in the special deadline vault to keep it safe and 
just in case they didn't understand it. They left this chunk just sitting on the table, like a paperweight. Well, that was the chunk they broke off that they were studying. But he just left it lying. So left it lying around all day. So uh, thing comments about how uh, that's where the power came from, and that uh, he'll never be able to do it again. But Reed does say, "Who knows?" Because maybe now that the Molecule Man knows how they did it, he'll be able to do it again. Which the Molecule Man wouldn't know if Reed didn't announce everything. Just like the Molecule Man does. Who knows, kids? Maybe we'll see the Molecule Man again in another episode if you really like him. And there you have it. Fantastic Four. The Mysterious Molecule Man. What a barn burner. It was a hoot. Before we get into our actual review, let's talk animation style. What does everyone think? I I like the animation. That might have been my favorite part of the episode. I kind of like that quaint, simple style of the 60s. I dug it. I was thinking it was going to be like the previously mentioned uh, Iron Man and Captain America cartoons with just the zero animation animation. So I was pleasantly surprised to see that it was a properly animated film. Like I said earlier, I like that stuff. Anything from the 60s and 70s era. We're not keeping you up here, are we, Mike? I, I'm, you, you people are just holding me down. That's all. <laughs> I liked it. Remind me a lot of all those cartoons. A little rushed in parts, but. I uh, I like the animation stuff. Takes me back. Yeah, I love all that. Like even you know, like the, the Justice League cartoons and and anything you know, Spider Man's Amazing Friends, all that stuff. I really dig that all. It's almost like a time capsule. And on that note, we are gonna go over to the spectrometer. Ooh. Anyone new to the show, Spectrometer is where we rank what we just saw. Zero Spectros being absolute garbage. Four Spectros being absolute perfection. Mike is the first timer. We're going to start with you. How many Spectros are you going to give Fantastic Four, the mysterious Molecule Man? Uh, probably a two. Two? Yeah. <laughs> you, were, <laughs> you had nothing but positive things to say the whole episode. Now you're giving it a two? I, I didn't want to like overdo it. I mean, I could say four, but you know, I did. Uh, you know, why is it only getting a two? Elaborate. I mean, it was fantastic. You know what? I'll I'll change it to four. To four. <laughs> That's a hot turnaround right there. No in between. Just jumping right from two uh, to four. You know, I didn't want to like overdo it. I didn't want to be the first one out of the gate to say how amazing it was. I mean, I love this stuff, but somebody may not like this stuff. Well, it doesn't matter so, what they think. It matters what you I think. Mean, from my opinion, I you know I I like it. I like the cheese. If somebody else. Probably not as much. So you're, you're, you're sticking with four final answer. Sure. All right. Dave, what about you? Uh, well, now that I know we can go to half uh, spectros on the spectrometer, half increments, I'm going to go with two and a half spectros on the spectrometer. I thought it was fun. I like the animation style. I kind of like the hokiness of the story and the absurdity of the villain and his premise. I love any villain that monologues. It's not the best thing I've ever seen, but it's a fun little ROM. I'll give it two and a half. All right, Franny, what about you? I'm giving it everything from one to four, since apparently we don't... <laughs> half Spectros are available to you. I'll give well. it a two and a half as well. I liked it. I mean, it is what it is. It still is fairly dated, but it was very true to the Fantastic Four, I thought. They didn't do anything wackily out of... They didn't have like a fourth robot sidekick or something. They would never do that. I'm going to go as high as three. I can't, mm. I can't say it's perfect. I enjoyed it immensely. It's the Fantastic Four done correctly. I like the voice acting. I like the animation for the most part. It's a little dated, but I enjoyed it. Like the theme song. 
I found the Mockingbird ridiculous but entertaining at the same time. I just couldn't say it's perfect. It's a little dated. The animation's a little rushed. And I'm sure there were better episodes. Molecule Man's not exactly uh, my uh, favorite Fantastic Four villain. Well, what did you think out there? Did you like it more than us? You couldn't have possibly liked it any more than Mike, but uh, you might have liked it more than the rest of us. Tell us what you think. If you liked it less, that's great. We can't take it away from you. Let us know. We also cover every time. Franny, we're going to start with you this time. A child in 2021 stumbles across Fantastic Four, the mysterious Molecule Man. Will they enjoy it? I would tend to think probably not very much, only because it is really talky. Mostly because the Molecule Man has to narrate everything he does before he does it. So it's, as you call it, kind of static in its action sometimes. So I think they would probably lose interest. Mike, what do you think? I think if people are into vintage or retro type stuff, they might enjoy it. But, you know, not really. I don't, I don't think any normal kid or whatever would probably enjoy it. Dave, up until five, a five-year-old might enjoy it. But beyond that, I don't think the color palette or the animation style is dynamic enough to catch a kid's interest. Uh, yeah, I tend to think it might not be flashy enough. My daughter was kind of really into it, but she's very young and she seems to like anything animated. So I'm not sure if a kid who's like, you know, in the, in the range of like nine to like 12, 13, I don't know if they would get into it as much. It's no Rick and Morty. Let's just, you know, let's face facts. <laughs> Thank God for that, right? How many spectators would you give Rick and Morty, Mike? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that. He knows not what he says. But he's he's right on with the Fantastic Four, though. I'll give him that. Did they make a Mego of the Molecule Man Mego figure? What do you no. think? I don't know. No. You're the oh, you're the Marvel expert. No. How? They did the Fantastic Four Mego. No, they, they did not. Oh, well, that's a shame. Is it? You you a big fan? You want to get a Molecule Man Mego figure? Did they make Challenges of the Unknown Migos? You know what? I don't like you anymore, Francie. <laughs> you know, they, Challenges of the Unknown got robbed. They got a raw deal. Where, where's that cartoon? Oh, that's right. They called the X Men. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Dave only buys vintage, so unless it came out in the 70s, he, he can buy it. Uh, I gotta ask, Dave, do you even own the Fantastic Four Amigo figures? I had a couple of them when I was a kid, but I didn't have all four of them. Okay, I so don't then what are you so concerned about the Molecule Man not having one? You, don't even, you can't even be bothered to buy the FF. Well, because I had the Fantastic Four when I was a kid, but I don't remember ever seeing a Molecule Man, and I thought <laughs> Mr. Marvel over here might know. I had to get the snooty answer from the guy, and I still don't think he knew. I think he's just guessing. Mike, was there a Molecule Man Mego figure? No, there was not. Oh, thank you, Mike. Mike was actually helpful. Well, what did you think out there? If you, uh, I'd like to hear from you. If you can go to my social media, let me know. You can find me on Twitter, at Matt Spectro. Also, give me a follow while you're there. You can find my Facebook page, Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Give me your two cents of what you thought of Mysterious Molecule Man and whether or not there is a Molecule Man Mego figure. Uh, while you're there, you can also uh, like and follow my page. If you go and smash the subscribe button to my podcast, I'd really appreciate it. Give it a five-star review if possible. Share it. Really appreciate it. Gentlemen, I'm going to give you guys the floor. If anybody has anything they want to promote, plug, now's your time. No, you won't find me on social media. I'm good. But you're all welcome for me showing up here. <laughs> Lucky you. The fans rejoice. Friday. Check out my eBay store, Static Vintage. Buy everything that you could possibly want except for Molecule Man Mego figures because they don't exist. And it's clobbering time. Anything, Mike? The only thing I want to plug is Franny's hair. That's the only thing. He, he, he desperately needs them. I, I think Mike needs to make a custom Mego Molecule Man. That's going on the want list right now. 
Hey, you laughed. That would probably uh, somebody out there definitely wants uh, it. I think so. Actually. Apparently, Dave wants it. I'm telling you, somebody out there would buy that. You do the base him off the episode. Dave's gonna start his molecule man shrine when he gets home. I might. Well, on that note, I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. I hope you have a happy new year. Looking forward to a new 2022. Going to try and be doing all sorts of things to expand the multiverse. New guests, hopefully. New promotions. Really try and spread our wings and get some more listeners. If you have any comments you'd like to be on the show, please give me a hit me up. Let me know. Any comments whatsoever. I want to hear from it. Ideas for shows. Ideas for guests. Cartoons I haven't reviewed you'd like to hear. You name it. Go to my social media. Let me know. Hit me up. Look forward to hearing from you. Any final thoughts, anyone, on the Fantastic Four? Pleasure's all yours. All right. And on that note, thank you for joining us. And join us again next week for another episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>